Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young, and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight, we're covering a very unusual, unsolved disappearance involving a 10-month-old baby who disappeared from her home in Kansas City, Missouri. It's a mother's worst nightmare. Baby Lisa Irwin was reportedly snatched from her home overnight while she was asleep in her crib. Despite the hard work of the police, a cash reward for any information, and the hiring of a private investigator, it's been 10 years since she was taken, and she's still never been found. We'll talk about Lisa's family, the events that happened the day that she went missing, and any tips or clues or suspects that have been revealed since she seemingly vanished. Before we jump in, I have a quick shout out that I want to give to Lori. She's been a longtime listener and Patreon, and she just absolutely made my week when I've been dealing with a lot of, I don't know, the blahs. We'll call them the blahs. She was kind enough to send me these personalized stickers with my name and my podcast name, Serial Napper, and I, I just love them. I'll have photos and a link over on my Facebook page for you to check out, but she does do custom orders for vinyl stickers and decals. Are they called decals? Decals. Um, if you're interested, check them out. And she also has an Instagram page. It's at Lowrylute, so L-O-W-R-Y-E-L-O-O-T. So get in touch with her. She does really great work. And just a heads up, this is my second last episode of the year. I'm going to be taking a two-week break at the end of the month to just sort of step away from all things true crime and spend some much-needed time with my family, but I can't wait to catch up with you all later in 2022. If you have any cases in particular that you'd like me to cover in the new year, make sure you get in touch. Now with all that said, let's talk about Lisa Irwin. Lisa was born on November 11, 2010, to her parents Deborah Bradley and Jeremy Irwin. The couple already had two boys that they were raising from previous relationships. There was a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Debbie had been married to a military man previously, and she had one son with her former husband. And Jeremy also had a son from a previous relationship. So they were super excited to be having a baby girl between the two of them. Though they weren't married, Debbie and Jeremy had been in a committed relationship for several years, and they were engaged to be married in the near future. Lisa's arrival may have pushed the wedding back a bit, but she was very much loved and wanted, and she just really completed their family. 
Lisa had a very light complexion, um, very light blonde hair, and these bright blue eyes. She was described as a very easy and a very happy baby. So it's October 3rd, 2011 in Kansas, Missouri. Jeremy had spent the majority of the day working. He was an electrician and the job kept him very, very busy. He arrived home around 2.30 p.m. that day. A few hours later, around 4.30 p.m., Debbie decided to go to a local grocery store along with her brother, Philip, to pick up a few things. Jeremy stayed home with the two boys and baby Lisa while the two were out. Debbie and Philip would be seen on the grocery store security camera picking up a few groceries, diapers, formula, and a box of wine. They returned back to the home around half an hour later, so they weren't gone too long, and then Philip went home while Jeremy begins to get ready to leave for his evening job. Yeah, he worked a ton, but he would be receiving overtime, and the family really needed the money, so it was just something that he had to do. He'd be working late into the evening, wiring the electricity at a Starbucks, and he wasn't really sure what time he'd be home that night. Either way, Debbie decided that it might be nice to have some company over that evening while her husband is at work. So she invites her next-door neighbor over, along with the neighbor's four-year-old daughter, for a play date, and so that the moms can have a few glasses of wine. Unfortunately, it would later be revealed that Debbie had more than a few glasses, so her recollection from that evening, it's a bit fuzzy. Debbie initially said that she put Lisa to bed in her crib at around 6.40 p.m. that night, and then the two women sat outside on the front step while they chatted and were drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes until around 10.30 p.m. that evening. That's when the neighbor and her daughter decided that it was time to head home. By this time, Debbie had between 5 and 10 glasses of wine, which of course is a very large gap. There is a huge difference between 5 glasses and 10 glasses, but this is all according to Debbie, and she was intoxicated, so she's not quite sure. And I really hope I'm not coming off too judgy here because I swear I'm, I'm not judging this situation. Should parents be intoxicated when they're the sole parent in the home caring for children? I mean, no, no, of course not, but it happens. And I mean, I don't want to judge. Maybe something horrible had happened that day or, you know, that week and she just needed to relax and got carried away. Either way, I'm sure because of what happened that night, it's something that she will likely regret doing for the rest of her life. Once the neighbor left, Debbie crawled into her bed with the littlest boy, and they fell asleep. Around 3.45 a.m., Jeremy arrived home from work. His shift had gone a lot longer than he had anticipated, and he was just ready to get home and get some sleep. But he noticed things seemed a bit unusual when he walked through the front door. So, for example, the front door was left unlocked, and Debbie usually made sure that it was locked if she was going to be home alone with the kids. Also, all of the lights were still on in the house, and it was the middle of the night. It was as if someone had forgotten to turn everything off before going to sleep. Now, as he walked around the home, turning off the lights, he noticed that the window was open in the computer room. He went in, and he tried to shut it, but it wouldn't close. The latching system appeared to be broken. 
Jeremy then walked through the rest of the house. He peeked into the boy's bedroom and he saw the older child asleep on the top bunk, but the younger son wasn't there. He walked past Lisa's room and the door was open. He didn't peek in. He walked past it and he walked to the master bedroom where he found the younger son asleep beside Debbie. Now, there was a stray cat that Jeremy didn't recognize lying on the end of the bed, which, I mean, it's just weird, but Debbie would later say that she had decided to bring this stray cat in. She had found him outside earlier, and she just thought she would let him stay there. I guess they were going to adopt this stray cat. Jeremy decided he would go back and peek into Lisa's room to make sure that she was sleeping soundly, but he was shocked to find her not in her crib. Lisa was only 10 months old, so the likelihood of her just crawling out of her crib and taking off into the house was very slim, but what other explanation could there be? Jeremy ran back to Debbie's room to wake her up and tell her that Lisa was not in her crib, and the pair began to frantically search the house for her. They thought that maybe she had crawled out of her crib and was hiding in the house somewhere. I mean, that's kind of what their first inclination was, but it wasn't what happened. When they couldn't find her, they went to call 911 and they discovered that the three cell phones they had in the house were all missing. Now they feared that someone had broken in and taken baby Lisa along with their cell phones. So they used the house phone to call 911 and report their baby missing. Police showed up at the home to take down a report with all of the details so that they could very quickly get an Amber Alert out. Both parents were fully cooperating with the police, allowing them to search the home and providing as much information as they could. Initially, this appeared to be a clear-cut kidnapping, which is why an Amber Alert was issued. We've talked about this in the past, but the requirement for an Amber Alert is that it appears that there was some sort of criminal reason for them missing. There's some sort of criminal aspect to the disappearance. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages, 
So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right, 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. This especially looked like a kidnapping with the unlocked door and the broken window in the computer room, but things were about to get a little complicated. Debbie initially told the police that she had checked on Lisa at around 10.30 p.m. that night before going to bed herself, but this would turn out to be a lie. The truth was, the last time she had physically seen Lisa with her own eyes was around 6.40 p.m. that evening when she had put her down in her crib for the night. This would leave a very large time gap where anything really could have happened, and with Debbie so intoxicated that she said she had likely blacked out, it's a huge window of opportunity for someone to potentially break in and take her. All they would have had to do is go right through the front door with it unlocked, or perhaps they could have climbed through the window in the computer room. The following day, on October 5th, the Amber Alert is turned off, which is kind of strange. The word on the street is that the police are looking closely at the parents, and this is mostly due to the inconsistencies in their stories. Debbie was brought in to take a polygraph test, and it's still unclear to me whether she passed or failed. According to Debbie, police told her that she had failed the test, but she said that they had only done that to try to get her to give a false confession. I haven't seen anything released by the police to say whether she did or did not pass or fail, but this is what Debbie has told the media. It's around this time that the police say the parents have stopped cooperating with their investigation. Still, both Debbie and Jeremy continue to give media interviews, declaring their innocence and pleading for the safe return of their baby girl. Um, no questions asked, just drop her off with somebody at a hospital, a church, the fire department, the police station, anywhere. Just please bring her home. Jeremy, as we understand, you came home in the overnight hours. What did you find at 4 a.m. when you walked in the door? When I came home from work, the front door was unlocked. Most of the lights were on in the house, and the window was in the front was open. Obviously, it all very unusual. And then I started checking on the kids, checked on the boys first, and then we checked on her. And that's when we realized she was gone. think of is, you know, maybe somebody wanted a baby and she, I hope that's what it is. What do you want to tell that person other than dropping them off? I mean, what do you want to tell them about Lisa? Um, she's, she's everything. She's, she's our little girl. She's completed our family and she's, she, she means everything to my boys and we, 
We we need her home. I, I can't I can't be without her. Deborah, how are you Deb explaining to the to the two boys what has happened? How, just, how are they taking all this in? Um, I uh, just try to tell them, you know, we're we're gonna stay strong. We're a family. We're gonna pray, and uh, she's gonna come home. That we have to be strong for her. I understand that you were showing pictures to the boys and that you call her pumpkin pie. Can you talk to us about <laughs> that and what the boys are saying, what they're wondering? Um. <laughs> They just, every time we talk to somebody, the police or anything, we run up and they give us a hug and say, did they find her yet? We always tell them, not yet, not yet. It's the only thing we know to tell them. Can you talk about what's in her hand here? Um, this is her Barney that she sleeps with every night. She, sometimes she won't go to sleep without it, so like to have her back so she can have her Barney and her family, her brothers. We just, we need her home. Did it look like anything was disturbed in her room? I mean, did anything look out of place other than her not being there? No. No. It's like they just walked in and just disappeared. They took her and took all of our phones so we couldn't call anybody. They took your cell phone? Yeah. They took all the phones. They were on the counter in the kitchen. And there was, uh, whenever I was, we woke up, and I woke up and he came home and I was, he said, she's not in her crib. And I said, what do you mean she's not in her crib? And I just knew, you know, something was really wrong. And we're running around the house and we're screaming for her and she was nowhere. And then I said, call 911, call 911. And he said, where are the phones? And they weren't on the counter where I left them. They were gone. Did the boys hear anything at all? You said you, you, you had to wake the boys. Did, did they not hear anything coming in the window? Or I, I don't think so. The, the window that was open is nowhere near their bedroom, so I don't, I don't think they heard anything. They're, they're both pretty heavy sleepers. What's on the other side of that window that was left open? Is that the living room window, a bedroom window? It's, it's a computer, computer room. Where It's an extra living room. Sure. As another day has passed now, how do you how do you move forward with police being here, with your lives being? Have you had any sleep? Tell us what you do today. Uh, we've had a couple hours, but uh, not much. I mean, I I close my eyes, I see her. I can't. <laughs> but I mean, we're just trying to hold it together for for our boys and for her. It's you know, stay strong for her so that we can try to think of anything or anyone or any reason this might have happened. We still haven't, but... Are you saying both your phones were taken as well? Yeah. Uh, three, three were taken. Um, one wasn't even working and it was sitting up there next to the other ones. I was reprogramming all the numbers and... All three of them were gone. What else is missing from your home? Anything else? We didn't. We didn't look, but Nothing I don't think so. I don't Nothing think anything. We, we, did, we called the cops. We ran outside and waited for him. And you know, he was looking around outside, and I was, you know, just holding my boys, and they were crying, asking what's going on, where's she at, why is she gone, and I mean, you know, the police came and I waved them down. I mean, I didn't even check around the house. I didn't think to. 
care about any of that. I still don't. Talk Did you about your last moments with Lisa? What were you doing? <laughs> Just what were you doing? danger. I mean, you know, get, put fresh clothes on her and get her ready for bed and give her her bottle and I made sure her binky was in her crib in case she needed it and she sleeps with her Barney and she sleeps with her glow worm and her blanket and that was that was it how hopeful are you that, that you are going to find her <laughs> I'm terrified but I'm trying to be hopeful you folks said that you didn't you didn't know anybody <laughs> that might want to do this but did did you notice anyone that had maybe an unusual interest in your child? I know everybody loves her. I mean, I go to the store and everybody says she's beautiful and you know, she's she likes everybody. She's she's really playful and she's uh, really sweet and she'll go to almost anyone. I mean, so I, I mean, I anything beyond that, no. So it wouldn't surprise you that she was picked up without crying, right? Well, yeah, she was sleeping. You can, I mean, move her around and she sometimes she cries. It depends on how, how long of sleep she's had. But, I mean, if you pick her up and you cuddle with her, she, she probably won't cry. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you for, for coming out. News spread very quickly of Lisa's disappearance, with photos of her tiny little face being distributed just about everywhere. And while investigators carried out a massive search through fields near the home, wells, and landfills, there were also some very interesting tips that came into the station. One witness reported seeing a man in the area walking with a baby that looked very underdressed. This happened around 4 a.m. that morning, the morning that Lisa disappeared, so right around the time that Jeremy would have been arriving home from work. And this all happened at an intersection about three miles from the Irwin home. Reportedly, the man was wearing a t-shirt and the baby didn't have a coat or anything on, and it was really chilly that night. I mean, that sounds highly suspicious and like a solid lead. And then a couple that lived in the same neighborhood also saw this very same man walking down the road in a t-shirt carrying a baby, and they thought it was so strange that they called it in right away. The couple said that it didn't look like the baby was wearing anything other than a diaper, and again, it was cold that night, so this is something that just really stood out. Debbie had reported that Lisa went down in her crib that night wearing purple shorts and a purple t-shirt. But that doesn't mean that whoever took her didn't throw away her clothing. And it would be discovered that the morning Lisa disappeared, there was a dumpster fire near the family home at around 2.30 a.m. Reportedly, the dumpster contained burnt clothes that looked like they could possibly be baby clothing. So that could match up with the eyewitness statements. Although it would be kind of strange for a man to kidnap a baby burn their clothing in a dumpster fire, and then stay in the neighborhood long enough to be spotted by people. I mean, it's kind of suspicious, right? You would think that he would want to get far away from the area. But who knows? Police did identify a man that matched the eyewitness description, and things kind of lined up here. There was a man named John Jersey Joe Tanko. He was a handyman who worked in the neighborhood where Lisa lived. He did have a criminal record, and physically, he matched the description of this mystery man in the t-shirt. But of course, that wasn't enough to connect him with the abduction of a baby. 
However, there was a phone call placed to his girlfriend, Megan Wright, that came from one of the cell phones that was reported missing from the Irwin home, which would make you wonder, if she received a phone call from one of the missing Irwin's cell phones, did this mean that John Tanko had maybe stolen the phone and that maybe he had taken baby Lisa too? Megan would say that many people had access to her cell phone and that she doesn't recall ever receiving a phone call from that number. So we can't confirm if it was John Tanko that called her. We have no idea who made this phone call. Nonetheless, John Tanko is brought in and he's interviewed. His photo is used in a lineup of other photos to be presented to the eyewitnesses who reported that random t-shirt man with the baby. Now, one of the eyewitnesses picks him out as the guy, but the others don't. There is never any solid and reliable information found that would really connect John Tanko to Lisa's disappearance, and so he's never been named a suspect in the case. On October 19th, a couple of weeks after Lisa went missing, a search warrant was executed on the family home. Police went in full force and collected everything imaginable that might be evidence. They also brought in a cadaver dog that positively alerted to the scent of a deceased human in an area of the floor near the bed in the master bedroom. Oddly enough, police never collected the piece of carpet where the dog alerted to see if maybe it contained any of Lisa's DNA on it, and I find that very strange. In the end, police would take six small items from the home for further examination, including a multicolored comforter, purple shorts, a small Disney character shirt, a glowworm toy, a Cars-themed blanket, rolls of tape, and a tape dispenser. While the police maintained that neither Jeremy or Debbie were suspects, the media, of course, was having a frenzy. There was a lot of talk and speculation that maybe they had harmed their daughter and lied about a disappearance to cover it up. And people who knew them in the past were coming out of the woodwork with their own stories, in particular about Debbie. One former friend gave an interview with CBS and talked about when they were friends living in the same military housing community. She said, She was definitely just an attention hound. It was just like I said, it was almost like I couldn't have other friends around her because she would just do things to try to cause a scene everywhere. She would go out with us. I mean, me and my friend Jamie, we would go out to the clubs and stuff. She would come with us just to the local clubs out there that she could get into. She was drinking. Yeah, she drank. And I don't put a whole lot of weight into stories like that. The only reason I even mentioned it is because it sounds so ridiculous. Most of us have lived a little crazier in our younger years or a little bit wild, but it literally means nothing when we're talking about the disappearance or possible harm of a baby. But if you were to go to Google and look at it, you're going to see a bunch of stories about Debbie and her past and her history and things that people have said about her. I really don't think it means anything, but I just wanted to put that out there. Of course, not everyone was looking at the parents as the culprit. Many fully believed that neither of them would do anything to harm their baby. So much so that there was even an anonymous benefactor who posted a $100,000 reward for the safe return of baby Lisa or any information leading to a conviction for whoever took her. That reward still stands to this day. Over the years, there hasn't been a whole lot of information to come out, but in 2013, there was a glimmer of hope 
as a young girl in Greece was found after being abducted. The blonde hair, blue-eyed little girl shared similar features to Lisa, and many thought that it could be her. She was found with two adults that were apparently taking care of her that were not her parents. Unfortunately, DNA tests would determine that the little girl's mother was of Bulgarian Roma descent. This mother had given her child away because she couldn't afford to take care of her any longer. So this was just another dead end in a very tiring case. It's been 10 years since baby Lisa Irwin disappeared from her crib while she slept. Lisa still has not been found, and her parents continue to believe that she was likely taken from their home that night, possibly as part of an illegal adoption scheme. There have been several age progression photos generated, and I'll have them posted over on my Facebook page for you to have a look. One of the positives here is that in 10 years, technology and social media has come a long way. If Lisa was taken and adopted out, it is very possible that she could be identified through social media. Someone, somewhere, has to know something. If someone has her, they're going to see this photo and the pressure is going to be on. Or if Lisa herself gets on the internet, she's going to find out about this story. She might look at herself and see very similar features to her own and might wonder if she could be the missing baby. And then there's the possibility of getting a match on one of those ancestry DNA sites. Honestly, I know some people think that they're a huge invasion of privacy, but when it comes to identifying perpetrators and victims, like, wow, what a great resource to have. People willingly donating their DNA to this database to find out their history. And I mean, most people do not usually give their DNA to police for just no reason. So this is a huge database, a huge resource for police to use. Both Jeremy and Debbie have submitted their DNA in hopes that maybe one day Lisa might take the test as well. And how freaking crazy would that be? I'd like to believe that Lisa is still alive, that maybe she was taken and illegally adopted out to a nice family that has raised her as their own. And when I say nice, I mean nice to her, because no one has the right to take another person's child for any reason ever. That's just pure evil. But of course, I do hope that if someone has taken her, they're treating her well. And there have been instances where babies grow up and find that the person that raised them was not really their parent, that in fact they were stolen from their parents. And I think that may be the best case scenario here, because some experts have said that they find that story very difficult to believe, that baby abductions are extremely rare, and often when they do happen... They are attacks on the pregnant mother where they are literally cut out of the womb or stolen right from the hospital. Baby Lisa was 10 months old when she was taken, so some experts have said that they find that difficult to believe. But you really cannot just throw away those eyewitness statements. There were two reports, two individual reports of seeing the same man with the same description carrying a baby and if this man was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe it was his baby and he's completely innocent, you'd think that he would have come forward to identify himself so that police could rule him out. Either way, police say that this is still an active investigation and they continue to get leads. Hopefully, one of them pans out and we can bring Lisa, who would be 11 years old today, home to her family. 
You guys absolutely must let me know what you think of this story. If you think that this was possibly a stranger abduction, if you think that maybe the parents know more than they are letting on, let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper. If you'd like more ad-free, exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on the cases I cover, make sure you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Serial Napper. Until next time, stay safe, stay inspired. Bye.